This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here at Asia Torah in the old city of Jerusalem. Uh, <laughs> like I was just busting out because of the Practical Spirituality. Overlooking the Temple Mount, by the way. And uh, I, was, I was going into Practical Spirituality, but meanwhile we're going to talk about how to make money. So, <laughs> well, in Judaism that is spirituality. To us, money is spirituality. It is. Why? How do you know? How do you know? Because, because our holiest day of the year, Rosh Hashanah, right? Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah. What are we doing? Everyone's crying. Please, 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 please. But if you actually could somehow tap into the guy's brain and see what he's praying for, it's usually money. Yeah? Jewish people pray for money. Okay? And then now, so you click on his brain, what he's actually praying for. You click on his brain while he's praying. And you know what it comes up on the screen? Money. And then you click on his money. And you know what comes up on the screen? Prepare to fill in for his 13-year-old boy. Private Torah education for all his children. Shabbos food. Yom Tov food. Big old sukkah parties. He's praying for, he's praying for enga- getting his kids engaged so that they can build Jewish homes. You understand? Like, like, that's what we're praying for. We're just praying for the resources to serve God. You know, that's all. We, we want to serve God, but we're going to need big bucks to do it. And you're all going to have it, by the way. You don't even have to think about it. Don't lose a wink of sleep over the money you'll need to raise a Jewish family. The only issue you could possibly have financially is if you don't go, if you don't become an observant Jew. Because then you're on your own. You know, then you're on your own. You, 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 I mean, what are you really buying anyway? You're buying nice cars? I mean, what are you going to do? You know, you're going to have your 1.2 kid? And anyway, it's an experiment. Like, you know jack about parenting. You know nothing about parenting. And not only you know nothing about parenting, I know nothing about parenting. I have eight. But at least after the first experiment where we tried all the stuff we thought we knew, and then we had a second game, we tried the opposite stuff. Neither worked. By the third kid, we started realizing we don't know what the hell we're doing. And we started like backing off a little bit and watching and seeing if we could like be there for the kids on their terms. And then we got some somewhat normal kids out of the rest of them. But, but what's the world population today? It's all experimental children. Because it's either, people had one or two kids, which was the total experiment. And so what is, why is the world so insane and we got knucklehead people running it? It's because we have an entire world of experimental people. That's who's the population. since the, Because the, all the people we're meeting are, were born in the 50s and 60s. Yeah which is when they started having 1.2 kids and, and that's all, they're all experiments with you know, parents who have no clue what they're doing. I also have no clue what I'm doing. But at least I get it. At least I get that I'm, I'm, I can only get in the way here and I should back off a bit and, and get a sense of the child you know, and take it from there. So, so the, uh, it's important to have a lot of kids because you want to at least doubly populate the world. Than the with normal kids. So if you had two experiments, like you need four more, <laughs> just not mess up society entirely. And Israel is even worse because because the rest of civilization populates the world with experimental children. Okay, but at least if you have a daughter, she's somewhat protected, somewhat protected. So now you have they're both crazy. Let's say you had a boy and a girl. You have two completely crazy people, but but perhaps your daughter was protected. So that we have like half sane situation, which is good because they're the ones generally at home raising the child. 
raising the next generation. But in Israel, they took that, they also have two experimental kids, but they both go into, meaning we, Israel's very egalitarian in the secular uh, sec, spec, spec, sec, sector. Very egalitarian, meaning every, the girls go to the army, they go to, they do everything. So there's no one being protected that there's something called, like, good old-fashioned values, you know, good old moralities and stuff like that. I mean, we, we literally, on the Israeli dollar of our tax-paying money, we actually, the, the, the Israeli, uh, I don't know why I want to say stewardesses, the Israeli sold, female soldiers, they get on the, ta- on the government money, they get up to two abortions. And it was allowed three at one point because they needed more. But they're allowed two free abortions, and they use them. They actually use them. But now they're coming up with other technologies to get out of that because that's been prohibitively expensive on the government to have the, have, you know, it's not a great form of birth control abortion. And, uh, and, um, and anyway, but it's insane. You want to hear how bad it is? You know how they have this whole children's thing in Yad Vashem, which is like freaky candles and mirrors everywhere about the million children who were killed in the Holocaust? So Israel outdid them in abortions. Israel outdid Hitler in abortions. Did you know that? They outdid, and we're talking a while ago, like 10 years ago, we, we surpassed a million abortions in, of Israelis in, the, in this country. Like, ooh. I mean, this is like a crazy country. And, the, and But, on the other side of things, there's, uh, the other side of things is, is it's all part of this major population shift that's happening where Torah, people who keep Torah, who are actually having multiple children, are the ones populating the country. So, as much as the country is a bit of a nightmare, um, as far as it's the moral ground that, that just by nature of things I just shared is the moral ground is just going to be like quicksand. But the, but the quicksand is going to go away because underneath all that quicksand is, is Torah. And Torah is like rising up, you know, from in major ways in the population. The population is turning to Torah. And, those, and as I said before, that when the, finally the observant Jews inherit the country, the, um, they're going to be super chill, biblical, flowing robed people who actually make you feel Jewish. Unlike the people with black attitude who make you feel like, like I said yesterday, like, like they're bug repellent and you're the bug. That they, they won't make you feel that way. And I just mentioned one more thing is this guy, I was talking to this hippie yesterday, two days ago. Amazing, holy hippie with like big dreadlocks. And he was like, so special. Love this guy. And he was telling me how he went to like this real hotbed of terrorism in, uh, called R- Ramallah. And he also went to Tul Karam, who have sent many suicide bombers, you know. But they, they never succeed. They always get caught by the Israelis and, and defused. But he went to these places. They wined and dined, uh, inviting him in for tea. Hey, brother, come to us. We have tea. We sing music songs together. And, and he was so wined and dined. So, he, so when he came out of, when he came out of room, what's this? Oh, thank you. He's so sweet. He's the sweetest guy in the world. Amazing. This is the hippie I was talking about. Wow. David. This is David. David Jacobin. He's such a special guy. This is called Rose Moon. 
It's featuring uh, someone singing, I guess, named Liz Lau. Liz Lu. Mm -hmm. so, I'm not used to listening to women sing very often, so I, I think I'll start at track two. But <laughs> people are always like handing me their CDs, you know. You know, she's like, you're going to love it. You know, I sing every song. And I'm like, okay, yeah. maybe my wife's going to love it. So anyway, the... So he comes back from Ramallah after like, you know, having tea over there and it was like amazing and and he, he so he gets to Jerusalem where he's been hanging around the old city a bit and they, he says, where do I meet like the hardcore, I want to meet like the real Jewish community, you know, enough Jaffa Street, like, so they said, oh, just go up Jaffa Street and when you get near Davidka, near the Shuk, turn right, go a couple blocks into there and then you'll be in like serious black hatitude community there. So he goes in there and it's such a turnoff. He is just turned off. Believe me, no one invited him into tea. I mean, women were like crossing their kids across the street to just like, you know, it was like, keep your hands and feet away from his mouth. You know, he was, he was like, did I say this the other day? Yeah, I said this. I'm so sorry. I couldn't remember if I said it to you guys. I'll finish the story quickly because I already said it. I had no idea I said this to you. I try so seriously to never repeat myself here. I'm generally good, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, here is the place I try to really not repeat anything if I can. So it's my challenge. I mean, try teaching every single day a new class for, for 20 years, 18 years. So anyway, the, the, guy, was, the guy was very upset. And I t you know what my words to him were? Yeah, now I remember because I gave it to Rav Noach because he was the one who thinks this way. So, so... I said to him, you're lucky they didn't kill you. Right, he wasn't expecting that. So the reason I said you're lucky they didn't kill you is because they're, every protective tribe generally shoots arrows several kilometers before you get to their territory. I Meaning you already, you got hit by an arrow, you don't know which direction it came. It probably came in three directions. You know, they just, three different guys locked on and just like, you know, you're just like, you know, the, uh, you know, there's something worth protecting. And that's why the observant community is very protective. And, but they will, but when they finally take over the population, there will be nothing to protect, which I also mentioned the other day. But there will be nothing to protect because you're not reacting to, to something. We're all keeping Torah. Okay, here we go. So, so yesterday we spoke about the we spoke about the path in in getting to your special purpose, and I will, at risk of repeating myself, uh, I'm just going to write on the board. This I don't mind repeating is uh, is that you got Jewish and you got Jewish, and they are they sometimes get blurred. Because there's there's such an intense emphasis today on on being Jewish, to the um, ex, at the expense of your individuality, especially in the very observant community. There's like individuality is not really the thing you get patted on the back for. Okay, rather the the, the Jewish stuffs where all the pats on the backs come come. That's where you get all your uh, support and and the accolades. Now, the individuality, the Jewish part. The reason I have it in a Venn diagram is because you could easily let go of the Jewish and just be Jewish. 
And you could also, um, there are, I actually meet Jews in the secular world. I think it came from like reform liberals or something. That there is a thing of being like, if you're like Jewish and you like, I don't know, you must have a star or something or maybe a necklace with a star on it or look really Jewish or like use a little Yiddish here and there. And you're like super individual. So you're like, you're such an amazing Jew. Like the fact that you wouldn't know, the fact that you don't know your ass from your elbow and like how to actually keep Pesach without eating hummus or you don't know like, you don't know how to make a blessing, you know, meaning you know how to make a hamotzi, you know, which is like this. Um, We give thanks to God for bread. Our voices blend in happy chorus. As our prayer is humbly said, Baruch Atah Hashem, Elokeinu Melech HaOlam. Hamutsi lechem miharetz. Oh, me. Is Except you're holding a pear. <laughs> and that ain't the bracha on a pear. We don't know any brachas. So you can say hamutsi on a pear. They don't even know how to sing that. They wouldn't even know how to sing that. I'm sure. Not to mention the fact that you're not allowed to speak after you wash. <laughs> but you know what? That whole song's kind of intro to the Hamotzi. You know, there was no word in there that wasn't part of Hamotzi, right? We give thanks to God for bread. Yeah, so it's like, right? It's not exactly a hesed. I'll have to ask my Rob if we can. Can you imagine going to a home? I'm in my strimal, and I'm like, we give thanks to God for bread. <laughs> People are just like, I think I'm going to make my own hamotzi when the bread gets to me. You know, they, they slide in a little way. So. Anyway, but there are those Jewish types out there that, like, they don't know anything about being Jewish, but they're just, like, so Jewish. And the, and, uh, anyway, but what we're focusing on is the Jewish, is the Jewish part. And we talked about, we're going to talk about a couple things. We already spoke yesterday, and you can check this video out from yesterday, which was on, uh, uh, I don't know what date yesterday was, 27th November 2018, is uh, get rid of the self-image. Get rid of (laughs) self-image. So the first thing is to be really you, not some fabricated you. Okay, get rid of the self-image and get to, like, who you really, really are deep down. Well, who are you really? So who you really are, and we spoke about this, is, is ultimately, um, who you really are is no one. If you get rid of self-image, who you are is no one, otherwise known as a soul. No one otherwise known as the soul. So who you really are is no one or the soul. And, I mean, you think your soul, I mean, your soul has something to do down here, and it definitely interfaces with your body in a unique way based on its history, because souls have long histories. Many incarnations, you've been around this world many times, so you're here for a very specific thing, but the soul itself is quite generic. It's quite generic. And it's, it's really quite generic, your particular soul. What you're doing here in this world with your soul, like that it interfaces with your body here, that's not generic at all. That's super specific. That's super specific. You have something to do down here. But on the other hand, you got a lot of generic aspects to your soul. And that's why most of our prayers in the prayer book are in the plural. Because it's not about you. You're praying, you're praying, 
you know, Hashem Elokeinu, our God, Melech Olam, Mekabetz Yisrael, that he's bringing back his people, that we're, ble- we're asking God to bring back his people. This is, a, it's not about you. You'll notice very little is about you, which is pretty shocking because Rosh Hashanah, everyone comes in to like make all their prayers. Well, you better bring them in yourself because they're not going to be in there. There's nowhere in that machzor that talks about your specific stuff. The entire Rosh Hashanah prayer, two days straight, is about general, broad, macro, like, goals of creation, both for the Gentile world, and the Jewish world. And the, so it really has nothing to do with you. So Judaism's very much got this macro Jewish thing going on, and then you got this very specific Jewish thing going on. But in the Jewish thing, we got to get rid of the self-image and get to the place of no one, and no one is the soul. And what's beautiful about being no one is what? I mean, I, I know a lot of you are thinking like, no one? No one? Like, you want to be no one? That doesn't sound good, because I've been doing everything I can not to be no one. <laughs> I mean, how many, how, how many people in this room have like, and watching this, how many of you have really put a lot into your life to make sure you would not be considered no one? You know? Like anything but no one. And you know, I'm and I'm here to tell you that no, no one's the goal. No one's what you want. No one's amazing. You know why no one's amazing? No one's awesome because if you're no one, so then what? You can be anyone. anyone. You can be absolutely anyone. You're just like this vessel. And you can be just this amazing business person, or you can be this loving father, or, you know, all the people who are someones usually are either really good at something and really bad at other things. Meaning, meaning like, he's amazing at stock trading, he's a completely absentee father. You know, because he doesn't know how to be no one. But someone who's no one is the best father in the world, while still being the, the sharpest stock trader. When you're no one, you help random people do stuff. Like get their stupid bag in the bin, you know, because they're too short or their bag's too heavy or there's no room for their bag, so you got to play Tetris with all the carry-ons. But you do it. You do it. You get up and do it because you're no one, and no one can do that. No one can come into a bathroom and see a absolute mess use it and then leave or no one can clean that clean the thing up even if it wasn't your mess yeah it's gross and disgusting but it's an excellent exercise in being no one it's a nice thing to do nice thing to do for the world but it's a private secret little exercise of cleaning up someone else's you know what that might have hit the seat or wherever it wound up and you clean it up and just no one has to know you're playing no one right now. And that's a, no better exercise than being no one than cleaning up someone else's excrement. You know, that's a good exercise in being no one. And, and you don't have to, like, no one has to see just between you and the toilet seat. <laughs> I want to say it's between you and God, really, but, but you're not supposed to think about God in the toilet. So when you go to the bathroom, you're not supposed to think about God, so it's between you and the toilet seat. But no one's super awesome. I mean, you're just a shapeshifter. And 
And it's so much fun. And, and also then you get to share your heart totally because if you're known anyways, you're not protecting so much ego. You don't protect so much ego because you're known anyway. So what would you be protecting? Well, now that I don't have to protect myself so much, well, then I get to be vulnerable. Well, vulnerable is about the only way anyone can love. There's no love without vulnerability. Good luck having any love in your life if you can't be vulnerable. But how could I be vulnerable? Because i got to like protect anyone from knowing my stuff oh, that I believe about myself. But none of that stuff's real. That's just your self-image. And the self-image stuff is anyway just some story you've been telling. It's a, a narrative you've been trapped in. You know, I mean, I meet people who think they're ugly. And that, you got to be really crazy. I mean, why don't you just, why don't you just spit on God? You know, and why don't you just like, I don't know, just, I mean, if, I mean, you can't spit on God, but I don't know what you should do. Like, just go find. Can you come here, please? Sure. Normally, uh, in Judaism, we should not have any representative Can you turn of, this, of, uh, of anything on earth. Is that true? No, representative of God. Is, is that what you're saying? Representative, any image yeah, no above the, the sky, uh, or on the earth uh, below, on, on the earth below. Right. So, uh, if if there is a candle here, mm, uh, that's nice. It's, it's they set up the menorah at the Kotel. Is that a representative? No, just a candelabra. Light. It's <laughs> for me. It's a representative. Well, they've they've actually they've made the menorah into a bit of a Jewish icon. It's like, it's a bit of an icon, but it's not a, it's not a true icon. It yeah, just holds but, uh, So if we can do uh, a representative, for example... <coughs> that's uh, not, that's not. Why did you just think of that all of a sudden? But uh, I, I'm just telling you that uh, you're wrong, because uh, I've, I've seen uh, in... In the book, that we can bow down in front of God. And we can? We can. We should. Sorry. Of course we should. That's it. To bow down in front of God. Yeah. And uh, your God is, is endless loving kindness. And uh, you have not repented for killing one of the Jewish people at the time. Which Jewish person are you talking about? Jesus Christ. Oh, for killing Jesus. Yeah. We haven't repented. Oh, this is awesome. Normally, are you a Christian? I'm Christian by Christ, but I'm Jewish by Christ. Oh, you're like a Messianic uh, Jewish. No, or you're not, not Jewish. I'm not a, a Messianic Jewish. I was called to be here. Uh, who called you? Adonai Elohim. Uh-huh. Wow, this is amazing. So, so yeah, so you're saying the Jews didn't repent for killing Jesus? Is that what you're saying? That was your point? That's what You made a few points, but that was one of them. That the Jews didn't repent for killing Jesus. Well, you know, the people who killed Jesus were, were the leaders of the Jews. So you would actually, you're saying the leaders of the Jews didn't repent, because it wasn't the kids. It wasn't the people. It was the rabbis running the show at the time. The rabbis in charge killed them. Killed him. Yes. And that, so, meaning the rabbis didn't repent for that. Yeah, but... Uh, they decided to kill him. Why should they repent? Why should they repent from killing him? They, you, they didn't just kill him because they, like, flipped a coin. 
there was a, there was a it was a major case. This was one of the important historical events of like, do we kill him or do we not kill him? And after a lot of dealing of some of the wisest men on earth, they decided we're gonna kill him. Yeah. So why do they have to repent? The uh, why would they repent? Unless someone later came and said, let me show you why you shouldn't have killed him. If someone came later and said, you made a mistake, or you got the wrong guy, or it was like, you just blew it. If someone said you blew it, so then they wouldn't, then they would say, then they would say, we got to repent for having killed him. But that never happened. Yeah, but... Uh, In fact, quite the opposite. What happened was, you know what happened about, instead? His students, the people who did follow him, later wound up wound up doing even much worse than he did. He was at least just rebellious. The other ones wound up murderous. And they killed so many of our people that all of our brothers and sisters went through major bloodbaths in the name of Jesus. So so we're not we're not very Jesus friendly here. At all. At all. And if he came back right now we'd kill him again. Without repenting afterwards. We're not happy about Jesus. However even though I just said it's pretty radical stuff, you should know that that compared to like regular paganism, regular paganism, so having having people be more moral as a result of, of Christianity, even though we suffered so badly that obviously every single Jew wishes there was never a Christian in history, and we would never have wanted the Christians be just because they killed so many of us, like we we. It's a trail of blood. I mean, they make not, and they make Hitler look like Santa Claus. Yeah, for for compared to uh, compared to uh, what we went through, but the uh, but nevertheless, because Jews care more about values than the, their own bodies. So even though we lost so many Jewish bodies, we do care more about values. That there there has been an influx of values because of Christianity that has made for. Hopefully, society's betterment. Hopefully, society's betterment as a result. And we and you see that when they got, got when Christians dropped God, that's when we got st- 200 million killed under Stalin, and we got the however many 80 million. How many killed in World War Two? 80 million. You see, when you get rid of God, whether it's on the right of the Nazis or the left of, of communism, you uh, you ultimately get a lot of bloodbath going on in in the. Um, and and um, I'm just anyway. So we're not into I'm Jesus. Just, we don't we don't like Jesus. I'm actually <laughs> just uh, death day. What does that mean? Death day? Yeah. I don't know. I never heard that term before. Okay. Death day. Yeah. What do you mean by that? You mean death week? Yeah. Oh, why we were doing death week? Yeah. Oh, we were just talk- we were going to talk about the afterlife. Reincarnation. Nice. That's all. But I'd, I'd like to go back to this class, unless you want to just spend the rest of the time, because all these people came to learn something very specific, and some of them are flying. So, and and just that your first point about icons is that the menorah is not an icon, and the Jewish star is also not an icon. None of those are icons, but they are. They are symbols. They are. Yeah, they symbol. are representative. No? Yeah, yeah, but they're not representative of God. They're not. Yeah, they, they mean a lot of stuff. Like there's a lot of meaning to that thing, which are really cool kabbalistic stuff that would like change your life. But they're but they're not icons, and they're not uh, they're not to be like intermediaries between us and God, like Jesus was for you know the, so many Christians. This is not that. 
Yeah. Good. What's your name? Be, uh, sorry? What's your name? Jiven. And my name's Yom Tov. Yom Tov. Let's, let's go back. Please. <laughs> I just I feel bad. I, they, I promise. I, 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 I don't feel bad. Okay, good. Yeah, but, but, uh, let's go back. No, let's go back. Because I, I just, I promised them that I would pull this off. So. That was awesome. Okay. And, by the way, let's hear it for David for standing up. You know. Very nice. Very nice. And, and, uh, and you took it well, seriously. If someone said that kind of stuff to me, I don't know how I'd deal with it. You know, and, and he just took it like a man. You're a man. You're a man, dude. Okay. Now, look. Get rid of... I'm just catching us back up. When you have... When self-image is out, so then you're knowing. When you're knowing your soul, when your soul, anything's possible for you. I mean, you should probably make sure it's appropriate at that given moment. But anything's possible for you when you're in the soul mode. But really anything. You can really do anything. Obviously, you want it to be governed by, like, you want it to be a right choice. You want it to be governed by right and wrong. You want to be careful. And you certainly don't want to hurt anybody. It's very important. It's a win-win. Because when you get that powerful as a no-one, you can start doing crazy stuff. But it could be a win-lose. Like, before, I was like, okay, we had this discussion about Christianity. But, like... It's a, it's maybe David and I are enjoying our, our talk, but it's a win-lose for you. Because if we're enjoying our talk and you're not, so we have to go back to this. So anyway, so then we're at no one, but it's not just no one. You're not just no one. There's something else going on. You know what that is? You have something called a natural personality. You have a natural personality. And thank God you had it for at least a year or two, three. You probably had it till you're about three and a half, four, till you got your first flat tire and who you were. You know, until the first thing went wrong, the first moment. Because once you get to about three and a half, three, anywhere between three and four is the area, you get self-aware for the first time. So you were no one for the first three years of your life, which is very convenient for us. Because we at least have an experience of that kind of energy, that kind of... Uh, flexibility, that kind of, you know, like lack of fear, that kind of, like it's in us to be afraid of nothing, to be literally afraid of nothing. Like that, we were that kid for a couple of years. We're like, parents had to say like, that's the edge kid. And like, you know, like, and we, we're just like edge smedge, you know? And we, I mean, we, 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 we weren't even afraid of getting hurt. You'd like fall down getting totally hurt. And you'd like look up at your parents to like, you know, what reaction am I supposed to have here? Like, I don't even know how to relate to it. Never been hurt before like that. You know, full face plant. My, my grandson just had a major face plant on his way to my house for Shabbos on his little, they call it a, I don't know what that thing's called, but it was, like a tricycle, but a little kind of thing with tiny little wheels. He just face planted. And by the time the parents could just get to him and like pick him up, they didn't win the race. He got back on the thing. <laughs> and this was a hospital visit. He, no, he was all right. And they got him checked out. And, and you know, whatever, they, they butterfly banded it. They cleaned it and butterflied it. And, you know, and the nose and all the other scraped off skin was nothing they could do with that. But, but and they made sure he didn't have a concussion or something. And he was okay. I and mean, we're talking about a kid who's, he, this happened when he was like a year and nine months. So, you know, he's just a little guy. But they did not beat him back onto the thing. <laughs> 
like they, by the time they got to him, he was gone. And they, they had to catch up to him, like just follow the blood. You know, he was covered in blood by the time they caught him. And he went another 50 feet ahead. And was like, and, why, and he cried in the end. You know why he cried? They took him off the thing. They took, they took him off. So like we, so we all have a no one time to the point where even how we do, how, how we dealt with pain, you guys realize half your pain is learned, more than half your pain is learned. You, probably anytime you've been hurt, didn't hurt half as much as your psychology taught you the pain was to be had. Now it's time to like feel the pain. And so we, we don't even know what pain really feels like because it's so psychological our pain and anyway but there's this natural personality there from your childhood you have a natural personality and and you can ask anyone who's worked with kids that they could have 20 kids in a class who are coming from pretty cookie cutter families you know like black hat families very cookie cutter families but you know where all the siblings are like literally a cookie cut image of the sibling above them you know I mean, they're just literally going on this conveyor belt. They're even going to be arranged marriages, you know, which is like, they're even going to be told who they'll be marrying, which is like super frightening if you're a parent. Super cool if you're a kid. (laughs) You mean, I get this? (laughs) Like, what I do to deserve it? And they're just like, I don't know, you know. I don't know, but I'll tell you, when you have this many kids, man, you better marry them off because no one can afford them into their 30s. You know, yeah, when you have 1.2 kids, you can have them hang around a couple years. You know, but once you start having that number of kids, you've got to have an exit plan. <laughs> and so you've been telling this kid, no, 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 about sexuality for the last 18 years, and then just one day it flips to yes, 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 yes. And they didn't even have to, like, deal with dating. Like, no dating, all that hell of, like, trying to find the... But so why did I say it's really scary? It's really scary if you're the parents. Because if you blow it, guess where they're going to wind up? Right back home. And if they're back home, how how easy it is, how easy is it now to, to, you know, how saleable are they now? Divorced. In a world of single people their age that are not divorced, you know, so so you, it's scary to be a parent of these kids because you got to do such an amazing job, and and it's really good for the kids too. They get another good thing is that they're well protected because you have to protect them if you want to be able to marry them off. They have to be highly protected, so so that you actually have good good you have uh, you know you have nice goods. Because in the end, you're, you got a product here. And if you got a product that you're going to be selling, well, you're going to want to keep its value as high as possible. I can tell you because my car was in the body shop today. <laughs> and uh, my son, I told my son, hey, if you're already doing body work on our car, you know, like, why don't you get out all the other nooks and crannies and dents and scratches? And he, he came back and he was like, no, no, that's going to cost too much. There's just too much. You know, you get to that point in a return with dents where you just are kind of like, yeah, and when we sell it, maybe, maybe. When we sell it, we'll get all those dents out. Anyway, but you, when you want to get rid of something, 
sorry, that's the wrong way of saying it. When you want to marry your kids off, you want to protect them so that their value is super high in the market of those who might want your child. Whereas if you're gonna, if your child might wind up flopping around your house for the next 30 years plus, and in the end they're going to be dating and marrying themselves off, which means in the end they're going to be making their own money so you don't even have to pay for all this. And in the end, I mean, it, the whole giant thing is just one gigantic dropping responsibility of parents that has happened over the last 40, 50 years. It's just one giant absolute irresponsibility on the hands of otherwise responsible parents. But like, and, and if you think this is coming from Judaism, it has zippo to do with Judaism. This is every single culture on the planet for all of world history takes care of their children until they marry them, which is called the ultimate taking care of. And you want to know what's a son-in-law is called in Yiddish? You know what a son-in-law is called in Yiddish? It's called Adim. What's that mean? What does it mean, Adim? Everyone try that word, Adim? Adim. You know what that means? It means testimony. What's the testimony? Why is my son-in-law, I have a son-in-law. He married my daughter, she was 17. And why, why, why is he called Adim? He's testimony that I took care of my daughter. That I didn't throw her to the wolves and just go let her figure it all out. I didn't do that to my daughter. So I have a, my son-in-law has literally called my testimony that I took care of this girl until she got married and handed her from our home, which was protective of the value of my children, that, and handed her to his loving arms with full insurance policy on her finger that, that he's going to be taking care of her heart so it's safe. And I'll tell you the truth. My wife and I were jealous of them within a year. They were closer than we'd ever been. And they still are. You know, we're 24 years trying to mend our hearts while they got to start with whole hearts. You know, we're still, we're getting to new levels all the time. My wife and I are like, whoa, breaking through stuff. Especially the last year. It's like, we're really starting to break through our stuff. And we're getting raw now and a little more vulnerable and like kind of, getting to the core of, of, of our healing in our hearts so that we can really be one. Meanwhile, our daughter is totally one with her spouse. I mean, they're like, there is nothing else than that. And it's really very special. And we're je- we've been jealous. Is that why you, you raised her that way? We raised her that way, yeah. To, we took very good care of her heart. And uh, anyway, but you all have a natural personality. It's just that it's been lost for years and years and years. Because you wouldn't even know who it is. But it, it is findable. We're not going to go into how you find it. And just one more thing before you guys. I just want, Because we all got to go. I'm going a little over time. The last thing is what's called... Oh, how am I going to write this in English? It's called kochosanefesh. Kochosanefesh. Uh, how do you say that? What? No, no. Kochosanefesh is... Um, you see... I just recently taught a class where there was a guy in there who didn't understand a word I was saying. Nothing that I was saying. But if you, if something broke in your house, the washing machine or something, you could literally just bring him, having never seen a washing machine inside, and he would have that thing fixed in a half hour. There was another guy in the class, if he tried to fix a washing machine, he'd be taken to the hospital because he'd probably, all his fingers would have come off. But anything I said in this class, and it was complicated material, he asked the most intricate questions that he sharpened my understanding of the material I was giving. 
He could never touch a washing machine because he had kochos and nefesh that were so powerfully intellectual and, and but uh, from the analytical side of the in- intellect because there's the there's a different side of the intellect too that's at more associative. He had such an ability of an analysis, and they're both in the same class. And I had to get the idea to both of them, and I pulled it off. It took me a couple of days, but I got it to both of them. And I told this guy, I said, you better shut off your brain, man, if you're going to understand that what we're doing here. Because stop trying to understand, because that's exactly what's in the way right now. And the other guy was like, please try to understand this. You know, I was like, like turn on the switch, man. You got to get this. Stop thinking. Think. You know, and and the anyway, but those are called I don't know the word in English. Someone please inherent talents, inherent talents, maybe. Kochos anefesh. I'm writing kochos anefesh. Too late. Kochos anefesh spelled nefesh with ph for some reason. Kochos anefesh, and uh, and otherwise known as inherent inherent proclivities. Yeah, we could call it your... I don't know what to call it. And we're over time. Shalom, everybody. That was an amazing class. And big thanks to David. You're, you're going to make this class the most interesting that I've done in a long time. Guys, Thank the you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.